Hello and welcome to the ninth episode of What's the Alternative on March 20th, 2021. As always, I am your Tyler, you are my listener, and I am your host, Tyler Herman. In this episode, as always, we'll be talking a little bit about some of the recent news in the electric vehicle industry and sort of surrounding industries dealing with low carbon fuels and renewables and all that sort of stuff. So this is a pretty busy week. Uh, There's a lot of news. Um, So this is going to be one of those weeks that I urge you to look down in the show notes. And at the bottom, you'll see um, articles that I didn't talk about with brief descriptions to see if you want to, you know, kind of dig into any of those more deeply. And I'll also have links to all the other articles in the show notes for you so you can kind of do some further reading. So I'm going to jump right in with our first segment, uh, which is a recurring segment of did Tesla change their prices this week? Uh, The answer this time is no. So, So that's cool. A little bit of stability is nice and, you know, in this world. So bunch of EV news this week. Uh, The first bit is that BMW has announced their next electric vehicle, uh, next two electric vehicles for the United States, and they're pretty much exactly what you'd expect. I'm not really going to talk about these too much, but you have the the iX, which is a great naming uh, scheme for them, is an SUV, is very much like the Tesla Model X and the Audi e-tron, and it's going to be around $85,000. Some of the details are a little bit scant on most of this stuff, as they tend to be, and I think for this particular vehicle, we're expecting launch this year. So we'll see how that goes. And then the other vehicle is an i4, uh, which again is a, just a wonderful name that elicits all sorts of you know feelings about what the vehicle must be, obviously. Uh, and it's a sedan. There's no cost information yet. Uh, similar sort of scant details, a little bit of range information, a little bit of speed information, but none of that's particularly uh, worthy of note. But moving from that, we do have some interesting news from Volkswagen. So they held uh, their they had an event called, I think it was like called Power Day, but it's basically their their response to Tesla's Battery Day. So they had a lot of announcements dealing with their electric vehicle uh, targets and their goals, specifically around the fact that they're going to kind of pursue building their own batteries, kind of like Tesla's doing, and really taking um, personal ownership of that supply chain. So there's a bunch of information there. Uh, it's all the same sort of, um, how do you say... Uh, vague information, but kind of like, here's our targets and here's where we're going to get our cost reductions and power reductions or power um, increases from and all that sort of stuff. So some pretty interesting information there. The actual presentation was about two hours long. There will be a link to that in the description. I watched about half of it so far and intend to watch the rest and making really liberal use of the 1.25x speed option on YouTube. But um, some of the highlights is they're, they're targeting 50% battery cost reduction by 2030. And so that's on the pack level, not just a cell level. So I know I talked a little bit about battery management systems and cooling and stuff, uh, I believe in the last episode of the one before. Um, so that's kind of the, the whole pack, which is great. Um, you know, 2030 is a, a while away, but, um, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not as far as it feels. Um, they're pursuing solid state tech because of course they are. Uh, they're pursuing recycling because of course they are. Uh, the phrase quantum leap in technology is used pretty often in basically every one of these articles. Really interesting thing is that this is a $29 billion plan. So there's a lot of money behind this kind of pushing for uh, their goals and all the innovations that they're trying to to kind of achieve. Uh, they're targeting a total of 240 gigawatt hours of capacity, of battery production capacity per year in Europe alone. Um, that's pretty huge. So um, that's what they say they need to meet capacity in Europe, and that's what they're going for. They are calling their battery production facilities gigafactories, which I think is really funny, because up until now, that's kind of been uh, a Tesla-only term being used. 
But um, I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. And, and just for comparison with that 240 gigawatt hours of capacity, Tesla's main gigafactory um, out in Reno is targeting a total of 250 gigawatt hours on its own. It's pretty well on the way to that target, and it's been uh, ramping up over the years. But that's kind of where they're looking at for that single gigafactory. And of course, they've got multiple gigafactories in the works. Uh, the one in Shanghai, they've got one in Berlin working that's being built. They've got the one in Austin that's being built, uh, Austin, Texas. So, you know, Volkswagen's got pretty ambitious goals here. And and I don't think it's going to stop at that 240 gigawatts in Europe. Um, they, they did mention kind of spreading this around uh, over time. So it was a surprise really unto no one. Um, many, 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 many articles that you see about Volkswagen right now are all about, quote, Volkswagen to overtake Tesla. Uh, Tesla finally killed. Um, and then maybe this is a little bit rude, but it's move over Tesla. Volkswagen is here to cheat their way to the top. And no, I'm not bitter about the Volkswagen scandal and everything. I know that they've paid their price. So... I'll probably leave it alone at that. But basically, there's a bunch of articles about how Tesla is going to be taken down by Volkswagen here. And um, a lot of companies have promised to overtake Tesla, and it hasn't happened yet. Um, if anybody's poised to do it, it is Volkswagen, and a lot of it is because of the, the Dieselgate scandal. Maybe we can talk about more about how that's going to shake down in, in a future episode. But um, but yeah, it's really interesting that they're they're kind of making these these money moves. Uh, they're really pushing towards it, and I think that's that's really important. They've got a lot of partners in this, but they're also taking a lot of the innovation and stuff in house to to kind of build their own uh, their own battery production, which, as I've mentioned a few times, I think it's really important for these companies to do. Battery production is the biggest bottleneck for electric vehicles, um, so they need to do it. And if they need to take ownership of it to make sure that it happens, then I think that that's 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 the right move. So I put two articles in the, in the show notes. Uh, one is just kind of an overview of the, what Volkswagen's looking at, and the other one is kind of focused more on the actual battery tech. And then I put a link to the full presentation, but there's no shortage of articles about this. You can do a bunch of reading about it, and I may end up talking about it uh, next episode as well and just kind of diving a little bit deeper depending on what the news cycle looks like next time around. Since I, at that point, I will have finished the full presentation. It's hard to sit down for those two hours and, and listen to that. It's not a. It's not as riveting as you might expect. So moving on, uh, GM is also eyeing quote a radical new battery tech, and I don't have much to say here. They don't have too many details, but this is their whole Altium uh, powertrain system that they've been talking about for a while. But it look, does look like General Motors is getting in on the whole battery production and and battery technology system, and kind of in- integrating that with their electric vehicles. So that's good. Um, uh, uh, talking about. Sc- Scandals. Uh, Lordstown Motors, which I've mentioned, they're the truck manufacturer, EV truck manufacturer out of uh, Lordstown, Ohio, that is is claiming to produce their first electric trucks and put them on for sale this year. They are under investigation by the Securities and Exchange Commission, the, the SEC, for some uh, some alleged misleading of investors um, regarding their prog- progress and the pre-order demand for their truck. So this allegation came from Hindenburg, who are the ones you might remember from the whole Nikola uh, hydrogen vehicle manufacturer <laughs> dealio that happened last year. So Hindenburg is a short-selling firm, so they have a vested interest in this being true, but they have accused Lordstown Motors of misleading their investors and saying, you know, we have more demand than we actually have and that sort of thing. So they are under investigation by the SEC. I guess we'll see how that shakes down. I don't really want to pass too much judgment on this necessarily. 
Um, I've always been a little bit uh, sketchy on Lordstown, not not exactly trusting them, but we'll see how that goes. Um, you know, the, the the truth will out, so we'll see what happens. And then I've got a quote from the article here. Um, their CEO Burns has previously said that the report is full of half tr- half truths and lies, um, and that was done from our reporting from the Wall Street Journal. And he said, uh, "There's always haters." I quoted Taylor Swift to somebody the other days. Haters gonna hate, 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 hate. You gotta shake it off. So that's a great defense. You, you know, anytime you can quote Taylor Swift, I think that's a, a pretty immediate win. So we'll see how that shakes down. Um, I don't want to say too much until until news comes out about it and until we learn more. So we will leave it at that. But moving on and staying on topic of EV trucks. Rivian is building their own charging network. So Rivian is the um, the, peop- the company that a lot of people are really excited about producing electric trucks. They look really good. Uh, they've been compared to Tesla like four billion and a half times because of course they have. And I think it's one of the trucks that people have been really, really, really excited about in the EV space. And they're building their own charging network, which is like super cool. You need chargers to uh, to you know charge your vehicles. However, it's a proprietary charging network, which I'm just so frustrated about. Um, so some details about it. It's 3,500 chargers at 600 unique sites by 2023, which is very quick. I mean, geez, two years for that sort of installation by a startup who hasn't sold a vehicle yet. Um, they will be spread throughout the U.S. and Canada. They will use 100% renewable energy. Um, and one thing that I really like about it is there's, it's not going to use a credit card or any sorts of readers like that to actually get the, the charger working. It's just a plug and go. So there will be actual communication between the charger itself and the vehicle, and that'll kind of do the trade off and, and charge the um, charger account, which I think is, is a great option. I kind of like a both option solution, you know, so that you can use a credit card if you need to. Um, you know, that might allow you to like somebody else, if they're borrowing your car or something like that, won't charge your account, it'll charge theirs or something like that. I think there's just a bit more flexibility with that, but I do love these solutions where you've got this communication channel between the vehicle and the charger. You may as well use it for stuff, right? So it's a really neat sort of seamless uh, thing. That's what Tesla's do at the superchargers. So I think that's a great idea. They're charging, um, at 200 kilowatts initially, which is very fast. Uh, very few vehicles can even take advantage of that. Uh, for perspective, the V3 superchargers by Tesla are about 250 kilowatts. And then they're also targeting 300 kilowatt charging in the future, which again is incredibly fast and not very many vehicles do that um, or can even accept that much charging. They will also install about 10,000 level two chargers. So this is a slower 240 volt alternating current chargers. And those will charge at 11 and a half kilowatts. Now the really important thing to remember about level two chargers is that they're not quote-unquote chargers per se. They're actually really just like a wall outlet with um, with a little handoff between the charger and the vehicle to make sure that it should actually start pumping electricity. Uh, the charger is really on board the electric vehicle, and that's what governs how much it can accept. So for example, I've got a Honda Clarity plug-in hybrid electric vehicle, and it only has a level two charger, and the onboard charger can only accept 6.7 kilowatts. So it can plug into a 13 kilowatt level two charger and it's going to get regulated down to 6.7 kilowatts by my car. It can only accept that much. That's the maximum. So when they say 11 and a half kilowatts, that's actually really only going to be, be taken advantage of by a very small number of vehicles, by a very, very small selection. But the important thing about this um, installation of 10,000 level two chargers is that they will be open to public, which I'm very happy about. 
So to talk a little bit about the fact that their charging network is going to be proprietary, yeah, I've got a lot of big issues with this. So in the beginning, Tesla's supercharging network, uh, whenever they built it out, they were the first to do anything like a charging network. They were like basically zero DC fast chargers on the road um, or along the roads. And when they built it, I think it was a good move for them to make it proprietary to some degree. You know, they make it proprietary and they're basically a startup at that time and they need that competitive advantage. So it made a lot of sense for them to be proprietary and kind of force other companies, as I've always liked to say, like, hey, you know, put up or shut up. You want to get in this game? Install charging. Um, So I kind of like it from that perspective. But at this point where we have tons of companies working on electric vehicles and really the single biggest impediment to electric vehicle adoption right now is charging. It's just it's just not uh, common enough. You know, especially if you think about rural areas, which, I mean, look at a map of United States, a population density map, most of it's rural, you need charging solutions along the road. Like, it's just absolutely crucial. Um, and I live in a fairly rural area myself and drive through a lot of rural areas here in Louisiana. And, you know, when I think about electric vehicle adoption, it really, I've realized how just untenable it is for most places to actually uh, have large-scale adoption of EVs with the current infrastructure. So Rivian, in my opinion, should make this a public charging network. I think that Tesla should retrofit their chargers and make it a public charging network. Um, you know, if you want this this benefit for your owners, for the owners of your vehicles, I say you do that in a different way. You do that with, you know, making it free to charge there or reduced rates. Or, you know, maybe you do something which... I'm not as big a fan of, but you offer them higher charging speeds. You offer everybody else, you know, 50 kW, 50 kilowatts or 100 kilowatts, something a little bit more useful or that's still useful, but a little bit less. And then your cars can come up to 200 kilowatts. I don't know. Something like that, I think, would would at least be better than making completely proprietary. It's just absolutely absurd, in my opinion, in this day and age <laughs> to do that. Look, we're at the point where we need this so badly in the industry and the climate crisis is happening and, and we need this so badly that... um. Yeah, I think it's absurd. I don't think they should make it a proprietary charging network. And then the article even talked about how um, pricing information for the chargers is is soon to come. And I'm just thinking, like, why even charge for it? You're trying to make this thing a draw for your vehicle that costs well over 80 grand. Like, make it free for the buyers. Like, who cares at that point? Uh, if you really want to make it attractive, you should do that. So... That's my rant about that. I think it's a really poor decision. Um, I'm sure we'll talk more about this sort of stuff in future episodes, but I need to move along because uh, this is going to be a long episode. So uh, Porsche is also looking at building their own charging network. Currently, it's Europe only. Um, they're going to be 350 kilowatt or more chargers, which is incredibly fast. They'll apparently be brand appropriate. They're thinking like rest areas and like vending machines and like coffee shops and that sort of stuff, which I think is just kind of a funny thing to say. Um, and they have no timeline. Moving right along, Volvo and Polestar, so those are related companies, uh, they've filed a recall due to a bad microprocessor that would result in stalling, so it basically disconnect the high-voltage battery system, and they fixed it with an over-the-air update, which I love. Over-the-air updates are just incredible. I'm so happy that so many vehicle manufacturers are getting on board with it. Um, I'm really peeved about my vehicle. I have to take it into a dealership to get any software updates. It's just ridiculous. So I think that's a great move. Um, and then moving right along, kind of out of the EV space, but still alternative fuel vehicles, uh, Minneapolis is looking at purchasing biodiesel transit buses, and that's upsetting people. 
So they signed a $122 million contract, which will purchase 143 buses, which is, you know, it's about what you expect. Um, the Met Council, which is the transit agency, vowed three years ago to stop purchasing diesel buses after 2022. So this is not breaking any of their promises. But people are looking at this and they're saying, well, you should have bought electric. It's really upsetting. Uh, they have operated electric buses in their fleet, some, uh, since 2019. And they said that they've experienced consistent problems with the buses and the chargers. And, you know, I work with a lot of fleets for my job. And I will say that electric buses are not easy. Um, especially in the transit space, you know, transit's not very kind to vehicles. I mean, it's an incredibly heavy load. Um, the start and stop is not nice. I know we talk about start and stop being better for EVs than gas or, or diesel. But when you have a, a mature tech like gas and diesel, it can kind of handle that. It's built for it. These electric vehicles are, well, they're really new. They haven't gotten over those growing pains yet. To, to have a quote here, in a 631-day period between June 2019 and February 2021, the electric bus chargers in the garage and along the route only worked for 152 days. So that's about a quarter of the days. And there were only 10 days in that entire time when the electric buses and the chargers were available at the same time. And that's a really big problem. These chargers are not able to handle charging um, at such a high power for such a long time. So you think about the loads for like a passenger vehicle, like a Tesla Model 3 or something, charging at a supercharger. It plugs in, it charges 30 minutes, maybe 40 minutes, right? And that's pretty quick. And then it has time to cool down, which is, which is really crucial. But these buses, they sit at the same power level charger, if not a higher power charger, and they charge for significantly longer. You know, some, some transit buses I'm aware of charge for six or seven hours on a 100-kilowatt charger, and that's an incredible amount of power to keep producing constantly for six hours. It's really, really hard on the chargers, and so it's a significant issue. You know, we don't think about that being an issue for passenger cars very much, about the actual tech of the chargers working um, and reliability, but it's a big deal for, for transit. Um, they insist, the Met Council is insisting that they're not backing down from electric vehicles, um, this is really a cost and kind of immediacy thing. And it's worth noting that uh, electric buses would have cost them about $700,000 more than a diesel bus on a per bus basis. So if you multiply that out, 700K times 143 buses, that's $100 million that they're saving by not uh, switching over to not purchasing these EVs right now. Um, so that's a really big deal. I did some greenhouse gas emissions analysis using the A-Fleet tool, which is a Argonne National Labs tool. And, and if we're comparing electric to biodiesel, um, electric is 35% cleaner, less uh, GHG emissions compared to B20. So that's 20% biodiesel, 80% fossil diesel. But if they're operating B100, 100% biodiesel, uh, electric actually produces 47% more emissions than a B100. So biodiesel can actually be a lot cleaner on a greenhouse gas basis than electric. And that's B20 and B100, so those are the standard blends that you go with. But you can actually do what they call splash blending um, and get anywhere in that range. So if they wanted to use B50 or B60, they could totally do that. Um, you know, they'll just talk to their fuel provider about that. And that means that they can get easily as clean as electric vehicles with biodiesel for significantly cheaper. And then if you're just comparing directly to diesel, um, so comparing to biodiesel to traditional diesel, B20, so 20% biodiesel, reduces greenhouse gases by 12%, and B100 by 60%, uh, 61%. So, you know, when you're talking about uh, climate change, 
I think biodiesel is an attractive option and they're saving a lot of money doing it. So I hope that they can find some mid-level blend that really gets them there and can kind of assuage the um, the concerns of the environmentalists who are getting upset about this. Uh, because, you know, it's, I think it's a valid approach. And, and I will, we'll talk more about renewable energy, uh, renewable fuels, biofuels and stuff in a future episode. I'll probably do a whole episode dedicated to that um, to kind of go over some of this. So jumping right along, we've got a few bits of news about generation, power generation of renewables. So a recent report came out that estimates that the U.S. can produce twice its total electricity demand purely by using offshore wind power. So offshore wind power is exactly what you think it is. It's windmills and it's on the ocean. Um, There's a really great map in the report that I, I urge you to look at. And it shows you where all this generation capacity exists. So it goes along the shores and looks at all those states and, and basically compares the wind generation capacity to the state's um, electricity generation or electricity demand. Uh, so it's really, really interesting. And then they do, they do two scenarios. So the, the base scenario is how much capacity you actually have compared to current electrical demand. Uh, and that's about twice capacity. So they can produce with offshore wind twice what we currently use with electricity um, in the United States. And then if we electrified everything, so a perfectly electric uh, economy, offshore wind would fall short of the total load there, but not by a huge amount. So I think that's a really interesting thing. Uh, this is a technical study. So it's actually looking at the technical capacity, what we're capable of doing with modern tech right now. Um but it's interesting to see this sort of stuff. Now, obviously, we're not going to get we're not going to do that with 100 uh, percent offshore wind power for the U.S. But you know, if you're you think we already have a lot of renewables on the grid, not enough, but a lot, and we have a bunch of nuclear, you know, making up 20, 20 or so percent. You know, we if we did like 60 percent or so from offshore wind, we can get to you know carbon neutral electricity in the United States fairly easily. You know, within technical capability. So moving right along, um, there's a nonprofit that's offering renewable credits, so renewable energy credits that account for the time of generation and use, which is interesting. And Google will be using them to be properly carbon neutral at their data centers. So Google's already claiming that they're carbon neutral by buying what you call renewable energy credits. And I know I've spoken a little bit about these before, but the idea is that a, an electricity uh, generator, um, you know, a company who produces renewable electricity, Basically, as they produce that electricity, you get what's called a renewable energy credit associated with it. So it's a it's a monitored thing. It's audited by the EPA. And they say, okay, we produce this much electricity and it's renewable. And that credit can be bought or sold on a renewable energy credit market, a rec market. So the problem with this that some people see, I don't think it's as a big a problem as people think it is, is that, you know, solar generation doesn't happen when peak electrical demand happens. So if I plug in, you know, my car or something to charge at night and I buy a renewable energy credit to offset that electricity I used, you know, that's not being made up for by solar energy because solar panels aren't working at night, at least not, you know, not very much. So that offset in the time domain, that kind of temporal offset is something that a lot of people think is, is a bad is a bad thing. And says, oh, well, you need baseline generation, baseload generation from fossil fuels to make up for that. So recs only work if you have fossil fuels, which is not true, but we can talk about that in a different episode. Um, but this, this nonprofit is actually making those together. So they're 
they will provide you renewable energy that was produced at the time that you used it. And these are in hour-long bins. If you used so much electricity during the 4 o'clock hour, you can purchase renewable energy credits that were generated in the 4 o'clock hour on the same day. So I think it's a really cool solution to kind of get around those fears that people have. Do I think it's necessary? Not really. But, you know, it's a solution to a problem that was kind of manufactured. So moving along... Um, I'm putting a link to an Energy and Information Administration's EIA uh, page that shows that coal electricity um, last year dropped below nuclear electricity for the first time in total production in U.S. history. So coal produced less than nuclear last year, which is super exciting. Um, nuclear didn't really increase. It's just so, like, coal's being faded out. And I think that's really great news. We'll keep seeing that more. If you look at the coal production map over the years, it's really plummeted and it doesn't show, uh, show signs of stopping. So moving along, I've got a couple of policy updates for you. So Colorado is looking at a gas tax and an EV fee to fund infrastructure projects, uh, primarily electric vehicle infrastructure projects. And kind of laughably, the EV fee would start at $9 per year, and it would ramp up to $90 per year by 2030. Uh, even $90 per year is like a pittance. So I thought that was kind of it's honestly funny. Uh, the gas tax would be about $0.02 cents per gallon and then would increase to $0.08 cents per gallon uh, by 2028. For a little bit of context, the um, federal gas tax is $0.18 cents per gallon, $0.18.6. Um, there's a lot in this particular bill that Colorado is looking at. Uh, I'm not going to unpack it all. It's A lot of it's Colorado-specific, but I just want to mention those two things, the EV fee and a gas tax. Um, there's also a diesel, ga- uh, diesel tax, similar to the gas one. It's a little bit more expensive. Um, but it doesn't matter as much. Moving along, the U.S. Department of Commerce uh, allegedly held a closed-door meeting to discuss EV battery supply chain um, infrastructure for the North America. So they're focusing on mining um, battery materials in the U.S. and Canada. There's a whole article on it. You're welcome to read it if you'd like. Um, I think it's interesting. You know, we've, we've heard a lot about bringing uh, mining and, and battery production stateside. And, you know, I think I think that's a good move, of course, and get around some of the human rights violations that we might get in, like, the Congo. Um, but yeah, it's a closed-door meeting. We'll see if anything comes of it. Uh, but I thought it was, it was worth pointing out here. And then we have two very similar news stories to kind of wrap up here. Um, Tesla has asked the UK to increase their gas and diesel tax and subsidize EVs more. So, um, so yeah, they're lobbying the UK to make it more attractive to sell EVs. Surprise, surprise. And then similarly, Ford has asked the U.S. government to incentivize EV adoption in a very similar manner. So I think that's really cool. There's been some whisperings recently that Toyota is doing exactly the opposite. And Toyota's asking the U.S. government to stop subsidizing EVs and allow for stuff like hybridization and uh, hydrogen and all that. But um, there wasn't enough to really go on for, for me to discuss here. So we'll see how that goes. And then just a really quick teaser of a couple of the things that are in the show notes that I'm not going to discuss fully. Um, we've got five articles for you. We have Lucid Air, or Lucid is appraising their final pre-production vehicle um, for the Lucid Air before sale, which so that's really exciting. They're you're getting ready to sell it. Uh, we have a new EV truck that was announced by Alpha Motors, and it's tiny. Uh, Ohio researchers say that a carbon tax is the most efficient way to reduce carbon emissions, so that's compared to... Um, uh, cap and trade and that sort of stuff. 
Uh, Kia has a new electric vehicle coming down the pipeline. So that's really exciting because I think Kia is doing a great job with EVs. And then I'm putting a video by Engineering Explain, one of my absolute favorite YouTube channels, uh, who did a video comparing the emissions of plug-in hybrid to a full electric vehicle. Uh, it's really interesting kind of breaks down a lot of math, goes into vehicle production, battery size, and all that sort of stuff. And then just a little spoiler there, the full EV is generally better, but it's really not as close as, uh, or it's really a lot closer than you'd think. So uh, definitely urge you to watch that. It's fantastic. So as always, you can find articles in the show notes and brief descriptions. You can find me on Twitter if you want to leave feedback and tell me that this episode is way, way, way too long. I'm Archduke Tyler there. And I will see you next week when you inevitably listen again, because let's be honest, what's the alternative? Mm-hmm.